just humble ourselves in your presence and we're just so grateful that you want to be with us. It is just something that I never can fully grasp how that the God of the universe wants to have fellowship with a wretch like me. But you said, I want to be a part of you. And ever since the beginning, you wanted to walk in the garden with them. You wanted a place, even though no house can hold you, you said, go ahead and uh, to Moses and build my tabernacle so that you can see that I want my presence to be among you. And then there was the temple. And now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we meet together and we... Help us prepare to be a sanctuary within us for you, Father. May your word be alive and powerful in us this day. May we see your grace in action before bad things come. And so, Father, we just pray that this Holy Spirit will allow us to hear with a hearing and an understanding and a discernment, Father. And may it build our faith. May we be edified. May you be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the kids, um, where's Miss Brenda? She's already up. Uh, if the kids aren't already upstairs, uh, you can go now to the upstairs class if you'd like to. We have uh, the, the children's class upstairs meeting today, so if you want to go on up. Um, and while we're doing that, is uh, I wanted to let you know of a couple of prayer requests that I'd had this week. Um, first, Miss Judy's eyes uh, she had a couple of surgeries and I know she doesn't really want me to say anything probably but one of them's still a little foggy so pray for that um, Jacob brought to me his dad uh, Lloyd has um, some stuff going on with the liver right and um, what they're thinking that it might be it's cirrhosis of the liver but they're thinking it might be from this uh vegetable based meat that they're trying to make us go to this fake meat and um that's that's why i will tell you you know have you seen like them impossible burgers and all of the different things i'll tell you that those stuff runs rampant they're trying to give it away at gleaners and i refuse to bring it here we turn it down and stick it back because the way I look at it, your hamburger has one ingredient, <laughs> ground up. There's 23 ingredients in these impossible burgers, and almost every one of them are chemicals. And they don't know what all those chemicals together is going to do to you. So I want you to keep Loy in the prayers, Miss Karen, Miss Vanessa in the prayers. I want you to keep, keep them as well. Yes, Mr. Eddie. Mm-hmm. Kyla. Amen. Oh, wow. Amen. Praise God. That's that's all praise to him. I, I remember when Ed called me and asked me to post that on our Facebook page. Um. She was not supposed to be alive. When they rebuilt her pelvic section, they said, we've never done this kind of work before because no one has ever survived it. So uh, to be home already with, with the, all the things, praise God. Uh, give her a message from me that that means that God has a special work in her life. 
for her that she's around and she should try to steer her life into that way. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Amen. We we will. And um I know Miss Tanya probably doesn't want anything either but her back. <laughs> We, we need to pray for your back as well. And anyone else have anything? Yes, ma'am. There was an episode that happened in Martinsville. Um, thank God I'm still alive. I got a clear, a, a, a edge of protection. Yeah. Uh, there was a man that I'd been battling in Martinsville. Worked the military with. High ranking uh, education and all that. I battled for about six or seven months to the point that it led me scared to death, he threatened me, and um, he's been my worst nightmare, okay, for about six or seven months. Uh, I found out, did not know this, that the man that committed suicide on the square is the same man that was after me. So by the grace of God, that he did not do a mass shooting in Martinsville, because he did it on the square, nor did he take me or anybody else with him. Amen. And that's something that we've been talking about too is whenever you cross through that river, whenever you cross through that sea, whenever you're buried with Christ, the battle begins. But he also has promised that hedge of protection around us and that he will always be with us. And we're going to see part of that today. And so all of these, please keep them in prayer. Um, and if you're ready, let's open this up to uh, Joshua chapter 5. That's where we left off last week in the middle of Joshua 5. So if you want to turn there and we'll get rolling. You know, and as we do, I'll tell you, yesterday, and if, you, if you're not on the Facebook page, I don't promote Facebook because I like it, because I don't. <laughs> And I think that it's a bad place to, to really air out things and to do stuff. The only reason I ever signed up was after I was here so that I could put what the message was going to be or a prayer request. Otherwise, the only thing I do is save recipes or something that, that seems to be something that I want to save and maybe go back to later on. But if, if uh, you're not on there with... with uh, like in the church, please do that because that's where you'll see prayer requests and see these things that's on there. And yesterday, whenever I posted about today's lesson, uh, the walls come tumbling down. We're finally there at the battle. But when I posted it, I, I said, yesterday was the 14th day of the first month, which about 3,400 years ago was the very first uh, Passover, 3,400 years ago, first day, or 14th day of the first month was uh, that night in Egypt, and then they, they, they went out the next day and left. That first Passover happened. 
But also, Christ is our Passover, and we've seen that scripture the last couple of weeks. And Christ, our Passover, the Passover happened, um, it was actually Friday night Jewish time, Friday night God's time, I should say, because I've, I've taught you in the past how you can go to Genesis 1, and day 1 was evening and morning, day 1. Evening and morning, day 2. So, on God's time, it starts at evening. So on Friday evening, around 6, that was when the Lord would have been um, taken and, and put into um, the tomb. So uh, yesterday would have been the 1991st approximate uh, memorial of the Lord's death. And in a, in a day or two, he's going to be the, the uh, thing of the resurrection. We, you know, the world now is kind of celebrating it as a different thing. And, and they're calling it next Sunday. But actually, if he was there then, then uh, you take Sunday and Monday and Tuesday is probably really the resurrection day. So, um, But we was in Joshua chapter 5. And we noted that they had to have, be prepared for the battle. And God does things in crazy ways, doesn't he? You know, I, I got to thinking this week that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are so much higher than yours. And isn't that so? Because I would never prepare. I would never do things the way that God does the things. And he, he taught them how I want you to prepare for the spiritual battles you're going to face. You're going to cross through a river. You're going to to take 12 stones out and put them over here and put 12 more stones in. And then I want you, as you prepare to fight, to circumcise every male child with a sharp flint knife. And, and then we're going to wait for you to heal. That is not how I would have done basic training to have gotten ready for the battles that we're going to face in the spiritual life. You know it? But God said, my ways are not your ways. And... And so they did all that, and we fill those requirements today in a spiritual way ourselves by faith, and then through that water, and then the Lord's Supper that we take. All of those bring us into common union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we stopped at verse 12 then with that last week. And so now we pick up the story beginning in verse 13. And actually, this is where chapter 6 should begin. Right here is, you know, it was... God, whenever the Holy Spirit worked through the writers, um, oh man, I forgot to wish everybody happy birthday too. My wife's going, yeah, I, I, she was probably trying to flag me down. But uh, I know Wilma's birthday is today and a bunch of you had March birthdays. And I forget, I tell you, I apologize because I am the world's worst at announcements. I hate announcements. The thing that I have on my mind is to get right here. Because I love teaching the word. And so I'm sorry, but happy birthday, Wilma. <laughs> and uh, we, we will uh, maybe sing to you later after Ron does his special song, okay? And, and to everyone who has a March birthday. But anyway, this is where chapter 6 should start. It just hit me because I had it wrote right here. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, this is where the story picks up. So whenever we flip over to chapter 6, it's not like a next day or a next week or something like that. It is actually the continuation of what's going on. So in verse 13, it says, It came to pass that when Joshua was by Jericho, 
He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. With that, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Oh, I'd love to take my shoes off right now. <laughs> and, and just go ahead and just be barefoot up here, because you know what? We're standing on holy ground. You know why? Anywhere the Lord is is holy, isn't it? So, so guess who just showed up for battle? Guess who just showed up for battle then, if this is holy ground? You know, we go from, from passing over and doing the stones. We, we go from circumcision. We go from the Passover meal that they ate. And now probably, I'm, this is speculation on my part, Joshua and Caleb's the only two males who had already been circumcised the first time and made it through that 40-year wilderness march. So they didn't have to go through what all the rest of them had to go through. So my speculation is, is while they're healing, he as the commander of what he thinks, the commander of the Lord's army, he's going to do a little bit of recon. I'm going to go out while we're healing up. And I'm going to check, and I'm going to see, you know, maybe a plan of battle. Where is a weak spot? How can, I, how can I find a way to get us there and to scale those walls that we're supposed to take this city and not get my, my people hurt? How am I going to do this type of thing? And so he's trying to plan the battle uh, and, and get ready to go. And as he does, he, whoa, there's a man. Standing there with a sword drawn as he's looking up and thinking. And this guy standing there with a sword drawn. What would your reaction be? <laughs> I mean, you're out there and you're trying to be quiet. And you got deep in thought with all this. And all of a sudden there's a man right there with the sword drawn. What's your first thought? Well, he's a brave man. He's, he stood up. It said he went to him. He didn't run away. He didn't back away. He didn't hold his peace and stand where he was at. He started going to him. And he said, are you... For us, or are you for my adversaries? That's a brave guy, isn't it? And he says, no, I'm not either one of that. I'm the commander of the army of God. And with that, he fell down and he worshipped him. And boy, his adrenaline had to have been up before that. And now he just drops down and the Lord has showed up. You know, this is one of his pre-birth appearances. They, those are called theophanies. And the Lord will show up at different times and in different ways. And how do we know this? Well, first off, he, it says that Joshua fell down on his face and worshipped him. And he said, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And this isn't a wor an angel because angels do not allow people to worship them, do it? Do you remember in J uh, Revelation, John twice one of the angels came up and he tried to, to fall to worship him. He said, no, don't do that. See that you don't do that. Stand up for I also am a servant of the Lord. Now, do you know why angels will not allow you to worship them? Yeah, well, there's only one God. And wasn't there a time when one of the angels did want to be worshipped? 
one of the angels wanted to be worshipped. And what happened to him? <laughs> yeah. So they're pretty careful about somebody falling down to worship. And they're going, see that you don't do that. <laughs> I hope the Lord's not. Lord, I didn't tell him to do that. Get up. <laughs> you know, don't put that on me because they know what happened. So this is not an angel. This is not any of those. This is an appearance of the Lord to him. And how else do we know that? Because in, in Joshua chapter 1, and I think it's verse 5, he said, As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Now what's he telling him to do? Take off the sandal from off your foot, because the ground whereon you are standing is holy. Where have you heard that before? The burning bush, wasn't it? Out there with Moses in Exodus. And when he was out there, the Lord told him the same thing. So I'm sure that as his protege for 40 years out there in the wilderness and as he was training him up, he relayed these stories as he wrote those things in Exodus. He was telling his, his replacement to be that, man, whenever the Lord called me, there was a burning bush. And he said, take off the shoes from off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And that was my calling. So now here's Joshua. He's getting ready for his calling. And to let him know who I am for sure, he says, take the sandal off your foot. This is holy ground. And he's down. He's, Lord, my Lord. And he calls him Lord. Adonai, what do you want me to do? What can your servant do for you? And then he says this. The cool thing is, as I was with Moses, I was with you. We got the same promise, don't we? You know, in Matthew 28, as the Lord had resurrected and he came and he talked to him, he said, I want you guys to go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, get followers of me, make disciples, teach and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have told you, and then lo, I am what? Always, even to the end of this age. So, praise God, we have the same promise, the very same. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And then he looks at us and says, and as I was with them, I am with you. Yea, even to the end of this age, to those who follow me. And we have that same promise. That ought to keep us going in faith every day of our lives, knowing that God is with us. And that I will never leave you or forsake you. So then another reason we know that it's the Lord in verse 2. Because you go now back to our text. We turn the page to, to chapter 6. And like I said it's really just a continuation. He's fell to the ground. He's been worshiping. And uh, the Lord says take off your sandal. And then he tells him this. He goes the city is shut up because of you guys. They are so afraid that the gates are locked, no one goes in, no one comes out. They're standing there afraid. And then it says this, that the Lord said unto Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. Isn't that what it says? So who's talking to him? The Lord. So that's the third confirmation of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to him. And he says, I have given the land into your hand. It's shut up. They're afraid. And now as the Lord is standing there before Joshua and he's been worshiping and he tells him the city, he says, I 
you guys have done everything I have asked you to do. Whenever I asked you to go through the water, you did it the way I told you to do with the stones. I told you to do the circumcision, you did it. I told you to do the supper, you did it. Now guess what? We're ready now. The battle is on. It's going to enfold. But I am here as the commander of the army so that you know that I am the one who fights for you this day. You're going to, to do my battle plan and I will be the one fighting for you. Now here's the situation, Joshua. Here's what I want you to do. And, and one note that I threw in here for us is, you know, whatever situation you're getting ready to do the battle in, theirs was Jericho. But Abraham was getting ready for some stuff. Jacob was getting ready for some stuff. Joshua, uh, Daniel, all of these folks had different trials, different problems, different things in their life going on. And every time the Lord showed up for them in a way that related to them and what their problem was, to Abraham, he shows up as a traveler. He had asked Abraham to dwell in tents and to travel throughout all the land and to, to not ever be settled down anywhere. So whenever he and the other two angels before Sodom and Gomorrah came to him, he shows up as a traveler just like Abraham. Whenever he shows up here, he shows up as a warrior, doesn't he? Because we're getting ready for a battle. To Daniel, whenever Daniel, the king, comes the next day and he pulls that up, and Daniel, Daniel, did your God protect you? And he said, the Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions and kept them that way all night. And here I am. Whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was thrown into the fire, do you remember who the fourth person was in there? He was like unto the Son of God, wasn't he? And he showed up in the fire with them. So what I'm trying to say is whatever our situation, when he's promised to be with us and never forsake us, when, he, when the situation is there, something that's common is going to be a reminder to you that it's him because he shows up with you in a way that is just what you need for it to be at that time. He will show up the way you need it to be in what you're going through. And so now the Lord says about this, here's what I want you to do. I got some battle plans for you. You're out here on recon. You think you're making the plans? No, I'm commander in chief and I, I've got some plans for you. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. Here's the battle plan. You see that? I'll explain. Jericho is, is a big hill. It's, it's built on a big mound. A bit, they call them tells. So when you hear like Tel Aviv, that means the mount. And the Aviv is the, the name of the city on that. But it was a big hill. And it had walls around it. Actually, two of them from what they've excavated. And these walls are huge. They were like uh, 12 feet tall, 6 feet wide. And so he's thinking on, and it goes all the way around this hill. So you would have to go up the hill once you come across those walls. And they've got all of this protected. And he's trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And the Lord says, I've got your battle plan for you. Now me, I would be thinking, how do I protect my flank? How do I, how do I get hid? How do I surprise attack? How do I get over without getting my men killed? The Lord says, oh, no, no, no. I don't think like you do. Listen up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to announce that we're here with trumpets, okay? It's no sneak attack. You know, battle plan number one thrown out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather up everybody. 
I want seven of your priests to take ram's horns and get ready to blow them. I want the other priests to bear up the Ark of the Covenant. I want all of your armed men to get ready to go out before the the first will be the armed men. If you look down through there through verses 6 through 9 and 10. It says I, he starts giving the whole battle scene after he tells them about circling. But he says I want the armed men to go first. Then I want the priests blowing the ram's horns. Then I want the ark of the covenant right behind the ram's horns. And then I want the rear guard to follow that. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to circle around. You're going to circle around the city one time a day. I want you blowing the horns. I want you parading around. I want you circling the walls. I want you to go around that city and march and blow the horns and, and parade around that city with all of the people one time on that first day. And then whenever you go around that one time with that parade, I want you to go back to camp. And then what I want you to do is to do that the next day. I want you to get them all up the same order of march. And I want you to take the armed men, the priests blowing the ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenant and the rear guard. And I want you to march again around that city. And I want that to go on for six days. For six days I want you to march one time a day around that. But then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times doing all of that. And then at the end of that, I want long blasts on those ram's horns. And when you do the long blast, I want you to give the command to shout. And I want you all to scream as loud as you can. And when you do that, the walls will come tumbling down. And then every man from where you're at on this circle around the city, every man from their place can then go straight up in for the battle and take the city because I've already given it to you. And if I'm Joshua, I said, are you serious, Lord? That's your battle plan? You want me to announce my visit, leave my sides unguarded, just the circle around, and you're wanting me to march around in front of those guys with weapons Verse 1 says that they were men of valor. I've given the city, the king, and their mighty men of valor into your hands. Well, they've got mighty men on the walls. And you're telling us to march around. You want us to announce our presence and, and do that for seven full days. That doesn't sound like much of a plan to us, does it? No. Can you imagine when Joshua has to go to Caleb and the other mighty men and of his army and say, hey, here's the battle plan I came up with out there. No, serious, the Lord gave it to me. No, that's, yes, trust me, that's what it is. Because God's ways is not mine. Now, whenever, have you ever thought how it seems that God does the most outrageous things for a purpose or, or for his glory? Because you think about Noah, you know, here's your game plan, Noah. The world is totally corrupt. Every thought is evil. There is nothing going on but wickedness. It's bad out there. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them it's going to rain, which it never has done, so that they'll laugh at you. 
And I want you to tell them that that rain's going to make a flood. And so I'm going to build, have you to build an ark for 120 years while you're telling them this. Is that outrageous or what? Is this outrageous? God does that, but you know why he does that? There's a purpose behind that. And I found that in 1 Corinthians as I was studying for this today. Look at what it says, why he comes up with the most redonkulous things out there for us to do. Verse 27 of chapter 1. God has chosen the foolish things of the world so that it puts shame to the wise. God has chosen the weak things to put shame on those which are mighty, the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are. Verse 29 then is our key. Why? That no flesh can glory in his presence. You know, if Joshua made his own battle plan and it worked, who would get the glory? Yeah. God says, I'm going to do the most crazy, outrageous things so that you just trust me and follow me and by your faith, I will do it. And that way I get the glory and the honor because no flesh is going to glory in my presence. And that's why I do it my way. And that's why I do it this way. And then it says this, if you look up at the next two verses, I got up there in verse 18. For the message of the cross, have you ever thought what the most ridiculous thing probably would be that you would have to tell the world? That by a guy dying on a cross, that your sins and everyone in the world from beginning to end is forgiven. Is that a tough message to get across to folks a lot of times? Isn't it though? That... That the fate of the entire universe rests upon whether you believe in Jesus on the cross or not. But God, it says in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, the power isn't within us. And it isn't within my plan. And it isn't within how good I can be. But the power is within the cross. And the forgiveness and the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the foolishness of preaching. Now you remember that. The foolishness of preaching is what brings glory to God. It's, it's to us that are being saved God's power but to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. And then verse 21, and you know what? That pleases God. It pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who will believe. And maybe, just maybe, this foolish battle plan that God has drawn out has something to do with this right here. The foolishness of preaching a word of truth. The message of the cross to those who will believe so that no flesh will ever be able to glory in his presence. Praise God. So now let's, let's see about this foolishness and see what goes along with it. Back to Joshua in verses 6 and 8. Joshua has to explain this to the guys and to all the people back in camp. No, seriously, this is what we're going to do. And they're doing it in four sections, like we said. In the army, we call that a corps. You've, you've got your corps uh, you got the Marine Corps, but you've, that's the type of word, C-O-R-P. You've got your corps. The seven priests blowing the seven ram's horns. They're going to go before them as the men of war, after them as the ark, and then you've got 
the rear guard. And that's, that's how the battle plan is going to be formed and what we're going to do. We're going to do all of these trips for seven different days. And while you're doing that, the Lord said, I want you guys to keep your mouths shut. I don't want you saying a word. Everybody that's in the march that's going around, I don't want you saying a word. The only sound I want heard is footsteps and ram's horns. I want those ram's horns to be calling. And the first day, it probably wasn't too much going on with that, you know. They were probably wondering what was up and getting ready for the attack. And then they go back to camp. And all the people standing up there on the walls and all the people inside looking, they're like, what's going on? Second day, the same things happen. I'm thinking by the third day, they're going to start talking, don't you? I bet trash talking didn't start with Larry Bird. It went way back. It, it goes all the way back uh, to right here at least. And they're trash talking as they're going around. What are you fools doing just walking around? <laughs> you Wearing yourself out? What are you doing? Just go ahead. Keep walking. We got food. We're, we, we, we stocked up, man. We're preppers. We're ready for this siege. And so they're, they're walking around. They're getting trash talked. He said, here, I don't want you getting into it with them. You know what's the, the, the thing that can derail you from your walk in Christ really quick? This thing right here start to move and, and start talking back. If I do that, I'm going to ruin my witness. I am going to ruin my witness real quick for the Lord Jesus Christ if I let this thing and my emotions start getting ahead of me and start going out. He said, keep your mouth shut. I want there to be silence whenever you walk around, and I want you to do it the way I tell you to. And then if you caught it in verse 8 up there, as the core is getting ready to go by, verse 8 says, who did they pass by and, and who was watching them? Look up there. Who was there? The Lord. The same guy that had the hand drawn with the sword. Look at verse 8. When Joshua had told them how we're going to do it, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's hordes advanced uh, before the Lord and advanced and blew the trumpets and then the Ark of the Covenant followed them and here they go. So, you're going out before the Lord. If you've ever seen any of the cores, like whenever you graduate from basic training, or whenever you're preparing for stuff. Or if you even look at some of the old uh, pictures of when they go by Hitler uh, back in World War II. When, when the people are marching, you're out on the field and the military commander is up on the top. What do you do? Eyes right. As you're marching, you're like this so that you're recognizing your commander-in-chief, and he is recognizing you as you're getting prepared for the battle. Eyes right. You know what that means? Whenever they did before the Lord, this is the same thing. It's the same representation. And what it means is that we need, if we're going to win the battle, that we have to be occupied with the Lord. Our eyes. What did he say whenever we're going to get ready to cross that river? You keep your eyes on the ark. You stay behind it. You keep focused on it. You be occupied with it and you follow it where it goes and you keep that. We're still doing that. And if you and I want to win our battles today, we've got to be occupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eyes are eyes right. We are occupied with Him and He is going to be the focus of our faith 
And then he will be there to fight our battles. He's acknowledging us. We acknowledge him. And we are putting it into his hands. So they went before the presence of the Lord to go do the battle that he asked them to do. It's eyes right. And then this happened on day two. They, they circled in day three and day four and six days. Ah, and now we get to day seven and it says that they got up early. Joshua rose up early. It was before dawn. He started rising them up. This is the big day today. We're doing seven laps around there. We're going we're gonna to march and we're going to do it. I still want you all quiet until I give the order. I want the same battle procession. But today is seven times and in verse 16. Look up here at verse 16. It says, and the seventh time around it happened that when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city is now. Now the city. Catch that. Now. After six days of one time, after seven days of seven times around the city, now the city is given to you and is now doomed by the Lord for destruction. It and all that is in it, and only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are in her house. Because why? What's that next verse says? The messengers... I told you they were messengers. They weren't spies to spy out the land for military battle. Did the Lord use any of their recon at all in what he just told them to do? No. They didn't go there to form a battle plan. They went there as a messenger because there was a soul that needed saved. There was a soul that was ready to respond. And God says, before I go into the city... I have to send a messenger to the one who believes so that they can be saved. So because she received the message and the messengers, then she will be saved. And now uh, in verse 20, the people shouted and the priests blew and the walls fell flat and all Israel proceeded straight up the hill and utterly destroyed everything that was in the city. In verse 22, but... That's like it gives the synopsis, but then it comes back and says something. Says, but before that happened, before as it was falling down, but before we went for the destruction, it says Joshua told the two messengers that had been over there, you go and find Rahab and her family first and get her out before the destruction occurs and we have to do this to all the people. And they brought them safely out before the destruction happened. Now, I'm going to stop here at this point. Because I want to save why that all had to happen for another day. I want to save why they're going to all utterly be destroyed with the edge of the sword, like it says up there. Every man, every woman, every child, every young, every old, every sheep, every auction, all, the, all their things are going to die by the edge of the sword. And in our, in our human minds and humanly thinking, we're going to go, why? That seems kind of cruel. That seems kind of bad. Well, God always has a reason why. I'll save that for another one. I was warned, don't do that next week on, on Resurrection Day. And I'm thinking, mm, I don't know, that's tempting. We'll just lay it all out. But, <laughs> but I'm going to stop because there's too much for me to cover this round or we're going to be here a while. But what I want to do is I want us to all understand what was going on in that battle and in that battle plan that the Lord God formed for him to do to go around Jericho. And what it was? Grace before judgment 
There is always grace before judgment. There is always time before judgment. It is never just, I'm going to come down and do it. It is, I'm going to send a messengers. I am going to tell. I am going to give warnings. I am going to give them every chance. But when the last person has responded, then it is time for me to act and to do what I need to do. So what does all this mean spiritually speaking for us? Okay, let's put it in order first. How was it? How did it go? We've got six things up there. Um, we've got the command to be silent, wasn't it? First thing he says, I want you to be silent when we go out there. Don't say anything. I want to have seven priests with seven trumpets of ram's horns. I want marching for seven days. I want the ark to be our focus. The messengers will go in and save those who believe before destruction comes. And then the destruction is going to come. So do you see the outline of, of what we just read in the scripture? <laughs> this is where we get good. All of you who are prophecy buffs, what we are doing is reenacting what's going to happen in the end times. I'm going to leave this up so we can follow, but you turn to Revelation 8. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8, and I want to show you and see if you see some coincidences going on here, okay? We're getting ready in chapter 8, the last seal. In chapter 6, the first seal gets broken as everything starts. We get to chapter 8, the seventh seal gets broken. And immediately when that seal is opened, if anyone is there, what's it say? There was what? First one was silence, and it? it says, for the span of about a half an hour, there was silence in heaven. And then, what's the next verse say? We've got seven angels standing before the Lord with seven trumpets. Now, what did we have on the march? And who did they pass by as they went? Okay, we, got, we had seven priests, which were going to be angels one day too. Kind of like, you know. We're going to be resurrected beings and everlasting like they are. But, okay, so we got seven angels. They got seven trumpets. And they're standing before the Lord. But there's silence going on. And then what's the next thing that happens? We get down... Um, that's verse 2, and they're standing before the Lord just like we are before the ark. Verse 6, seven, seven angels had seven trumpets, and they, they what? Prepared to sound. We had to get prepared first, didn't we? Before we could do all of that, we had some preparation, the stones, we had the, the flint, and, you know, I don't even want to go there. We had to get prepared. Joshua's man had to do that. We do the same thing. Then, uh, at the end of the chapter, this is grace, by the way. All of this time, all of these times walking around the city is grace. It is time that they are being allowed before the destruction comes. Towards the end now of chapter 8, it says that the fourth trumpet had went past. Four woes are gone. Three more are to come. Uh, the woes are warnings. The laps around the city were warnings one lap at a time a warning a warning every one of the trumpets are warnings it's trying to get people to repent 
and to change their minds. These are warning times. There's more coming. Turn to chapter 9. The fifth trumpet sounds. Then the sixth trumpet sounds. Oh, it says in the middle of the chapter now, after the sixth trumpet, that we're getting ready for the slaughter. The slaughter of God upon evil is getting ready to happen. And it says in verse 21, what? So the big key is the first word. What did they not do? They didn't repent. You see, after six tips around, they still hadn't repented. After six trumpets in the future, they still haven't repented, not of what they were doing. So now, go over to chapter 11. Next, God sends in, in verse 3, what? Sends in two witnesses. To what's, what's the two witnesses doing? They're bringing whoever, they're trying to get the message out before the destruction comes to whoever will believe. We're trying to get that message out before that seventh one goes on. So two messengers comes in. We got to get Rahab first, right? Then down to verse 19, whenever, whenever they go through all of the stuff and whenever everything starts to happen and the seventh one goes, what's it say in verse 19? The temple of God opened up and what was there? The ark. The same ark that has been parading around now for seven days is what opens up as God is doing that. You know what the ark represents? Remember what we've been saying? What's it represent? The Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? So let's, let's put it all together now then. The ark. Let's go to that next one now. The ark. Let me tell you about the ark before we go on. The ark is made, if you go back to Exodus... The ark is made out of acacia wood, and then it is overlaid with gold. What that represents is what scholars like to use a big word called hypostatic union. But what that basically means is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is God and he is man. And the wood represents his humanness. We, like trees, are planted by the river of water. The wood represents his humanity. The gold overlaid represents his deity. You know what's on top of that ark? The mercy seat. You've got the mercy seat. You know what's inside the ark? You got manna, and you got the two tables of stones of the Ten Commandments, and you got Aaron's rod that budded. That represents sin. That represents law. That represents the things that comes against us. But guess where they are? Under the mercy seat and inside of what? The ark, which represents Jesus. So whenever I come to him, you remember what that scripture says? My life is what in him? Hid. My life, my sins is hid inside of him because underneath that is the mercy seat. Those are underneath that. And you know what sits on top of the mercy seat facing each other? Two cherubs. To cherubim. You know what they represent? They represent the righteousness and justice of God. Because God is just. Nobody should be able to stand in his presence. And God is righteous. We're not righteous. No, not one. But he is righteous. But there was one who came and who bore my sin so that me who is not righteous can believe in him and be forgiven and that I might then be my... 
made righteousness through him and through his sacrifice for me. The righteousness of God through Christ is upon me. So whenever the blood of the Passover, whenever we partake of that Lord's Supper, which is that representation to us this day, that is representing that sacrifice of the Lamb of God for sin. And that is spread upon the mercy seat. Hebrews will tell us that the Lord upon his death and resurrection, went one time into the real temple that's in heaven where we just saw that the ark was revealed in Revelation whenever he's getting ready to go. There is everything that Moses made was made as the pattern of what is in heaven that is real. And it says that our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, took his blood and spread it upon that mercy seat. And from now on those sins are forgiven. And whenever those cherubs look down upon the mercy seat. They don't see what's hidden inside. They see the blood that is sprinkled upon there. And my life is hid. And the righteousness and the justice of God is satisfied by the work of Christ on the cross. That's what this represents. And so whenever the priests take the ram's horns, and they're marching around the city with the Ark of the Covenant that represents this, that is the gospel being preached to them. It is foolishness unto those who are perishing, but to those like Rahab who are saved, it is the power of God. I believe in your God. I believe that He is the God of heaven and earth, and He is the power unto salvation, and He has given this city over to you. For seven days, the gospel was preached God's way to these people. God's way and that ark that represents the grace and mercy, the righteousness and justice that you could have, they could have, like Rahab, believed. And they could have changed their minds and said, let's go out and talk to them. Let's not let this happen. We believe that your God is the God and we want to change. Don't destroy us and our children. But no, just like in Revelation, after the sixth trumpet and you're getting ready for the seventh one to go, it says they repented not of their sins and the things that they were doing, even when the grace of God is trying to warn them and show them that this is getting ready to happen. Now, something else about those seven trumpets. If you go back to verse, in Joshua 6, to verse 4, 5, 6, 8, 13, so on. Every time it talks about the trumpets that the priests are going to be blowing, it says that they were ram's horns. It makes sure to say trumpets of ram's horns. There's two different kinds of trumpets. There's the trumpets that if you, that if you took pictures of the Berean chapters, Numbers, I, I hope I put it on there. I don't know if I did or not. Numbers chapter 10, write that down. If you go to Numbers chapter 10, they were towed to make two special trumpets out of silver, made by hand, made by man, made by artisans. And those trumpets were made for battle, for rallying cries, for whenever we're going to have a special occasion or a meeting at the tabernacle of God. You blow the silver trumpets, and that signals everybody that there's commands getting ready to come. That's not these. So the battle trumpets weren't being used. Whenever they were blowing around the city, it wasn't battle trumpets. 
You know what trumpets they were? Ram's horns, Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25 verses 8 through 10 says the shofar. And yes, when it says of ram's horns, it's the word shofar in the Hebrew. So it says in Leviticus 25 that the shofars will be blown on the year of Jubilee. And that the trumpet sounds proclaim liberty throughout the land. I don't know if you're getting a cold chill, but I am. Because what I am hearing now is that for seven days, the trumpets of liberty in the land was being blown. The year of Jubilee has come. We'll study that one day because the year of Jubilee, they didn't buy and sell real estate like we do. They were giving it to them as an inheritance by God. And this was God's land. And he gave it as an inheritance. And if someone occurred some debt and they needed help, what they would do is they would lease their land to someone who would have the money to give them for part of that land. But on the year of Jubilee, all debts are forgiven and it goes back to the rightful owner. And for, for 50 years, it'll be that way. And whatever happens during those 50 years, the year of Jubilee always puts it back to the rightful owner no matter what. God is getting ready to take back His world people. We are approaching these things fast right now. He's about ready for a year of Jubilee to reclaim what was rightfully His. Here we are seeing Him do it. He is starting the mission through the land to reclaim. Liberty was proclaimed throughout the land by those on seven trips around. You have the option. You can join in with liberty you can repent and believe in the message of that ark, which to us is the message of the cross, which saves those who believe. That is liberty in this land. But if you don't, then you will not have it. You, the destruction will come upon those who do not believe. And folks, that is what was going on in the battle plan of God. But we had to stop and get Rahab first. And here's... Here's a thought I want you to have today. 2 Timothy 2.19 is what I want to apply to this situation. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands firm having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Come out of that city. Depart from her. The Lord knows who are His. You walk through your life this week, this day, every day of your life, knowing this. The foundation of God stands sure. He knows who you are. He knows those who are His. And before that destruction is going to come, He's going to pull Rahab out. You talk about patterns in the Bible. Did, did Noah go uh, get destroyed? Did Lot get destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels and the messengers came? He had to drag them out. They, they were wanting to stay, but the Lord knows those that are His. There's a pattern going on. I want you to realize that. The Lord knows you. You're not going to be destroyed, okay? If you name the name of the Lord. So as our praise team comes on back up, I want you to take these things home with you today. The Lord knows you. He made a promise that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Things may look crazy. My ways may 
look ridiculous to you. But know this, that foolishness of preaching the cross every day to those out there, don't you worry about it. You're not responsible for their reaction. You're just responsible to do it. You're responsible for you and nobody else. You say it, and those who will believe, it is the power of God. To other folks, it's going to be foolishness. But know this, that God will not quit on them until all hope is gone, that he knows that they will not repent, and then the destruction comes. And that's the way it is with us. So if you are here this day, and you have not responded to that gospel call, today is your day. Don't leave here without that protection. Don't leave here without the Lord being with you. Let's do that and be baptized into Christ and your sins washed away. And then you are ready to, to be marching in this battle array to tell the world about the grace of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Those of us who have done that, let's continue the march. Our seven times around isn't done yet. We're still here, so that means we're still marching. Preach the gospel of Christ. Get people to come here next week so we can teach them the gospel of Christ. And know this as you leave. The Lord knows them that are His. And that's you and I. Let's pray. Woo, Father. We had no idea that all of that was hidden in Your Word. Praise God that at the proper times You reveal Your Word to us in a powerful way. And Lord... We pray that this day that we are edified, that we are built up with confidence, that those who need to name your name will do so now. Those of us who have named your name, that we will have the confidence to go out and to teach it and to tell it and to continue in that march, proclaiming liberty throughout the land. And Father, through it all, may you and you alone be glorified and exalted for you are the God of heaven and earth. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and that forgiveness and grace through him and that my sins and all of our sins of the world are hidden within him to those who will confess them. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen.